You're listening to the Ministry 127 podcast, a complimentary resource for today's spiritual leader. The purpose of Ministry 127 is to aid Christians in developing a biblical philosophy of ministry. Ministry 127 is a growing online library aimed at assisting ministry workers with Bible-based resources and is a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel, the Lancaster Baptist Church, and West Coast Baptist College. For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. This Ministry 127 podcast is entitled Principles for Church Construction with Brother Tim Christensen. Brother Christensen assists Dr. Chapel with daily church administration, oversight of construction on the campus, and he oversees the adult Bible fellowships. One part of what I do here in the ministry is assist pastor as uh, his uh, representative with the contractors and the architects and engineers and so forth. And uh, it's a privilege to be involved in that. We have a, we have a growing campus, and uh, I observed the construction on our campus before I actually participated in helping to manage some of it. And uh, we're thankful for it. You learn things with every one of them. The one thing that Pastor learned with the first big one was that he wasn't going to be the one directly involved with many of the ones after that. Uh, and he's still very, very involved, whether it was the selection of this carpet or the wall color or um, the laminate on the door or the hardware on the door. He's still real involved, but um, a lot of the interaction with the uh, trades and a lot of the decisions uh, were, some of us are helping him with. And, and uh, it's a team effort. Uh, this is the newest building on the campus that we call it the Revels Building because of a Christian uh, businessman named uh, Clayton Revels who helped to uh, give uh, a gift that helped to fund a portion of it. Our church family has pretty much given to, to uh, raise most of these buildings up, and this building was the first time we had uh, a gentleman uh, participate to a, to a significant degree trying to help us uh, get, in, get, get it done because of the fact that it's a training place for the Bible college students five days a week. But uh, for, um, I think there's, you know, 40-some buildings here on the campus. Some of them are the modular style, uh, but still those have some expense per square foot to them. And our church family has just sacrificed. Uh, the church met downtown originally, most of you are aware of that, uh, in a, a building that was, uh, was quite empty at first. And then they filled that up quickly over the first few years of pastor's ministry and then bought the property here, bought 20 acres. It's 80 acres now, but bought 20 acres then and uh, built the north building in 1993 and opened that uh, New Year's 94 and so everything on this campus has been developed uh, in the last 16 years and so it's been it's been a catch-up mode ever since and we've never had we've never got to the point where we're like okay now we have enough room we can grow into it uh, we felt that way just a little bit with the auditorium in uh, 99 and 2000 but then we went back to two services and so forth and so we're thankful for that and you're all dealing with uh, dealing with things of a similar nature. The fact that you need to build is a good thing, and uh, we think that it's it's important for churches to enlarge the place of their habitation. For a little uh, biblical context, look look at First Chronicles chapter number twenty-eight. David, of course, is preparing his son Solomon for leadership in the nation, but specifically for the construction of a uh, very important building project, and that is the, the temple of God. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of a good courage. Do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Verse 21 speaks of involving willing and skillful men. Verse 29 tells us that the work is great. The palace is not for man, but for the Lord. 
and we don't claim that building uh, construction projects at local churches is the equivalent of building the uh, temple of uh, the Old Testament uh, reign of Solomon. But on the other hand, it, is, it does have some similarities in that uh, it's for the Lord, and it's for the Lord's work. And uh, we know his presence does not reside in our buildings. His presence resides in his people. But uh, it does require skillful people. And then look at verse number 2 of First Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, verse number 2. I have prepared with all my might. And one of the things we all know from studying the life of David that he was able to accomplish, though he did not build the temple, was that he prepared. And so we'll talk about preparing a little bit today. In your notes, point number one, we're going to talk first about the roles in church construction. The roles in church construction. And there are a number of roles uh, that we'll discuss. I believe we'll discuss 12 of them. The first uh, and a significant role in church construction is the role of the pastor. The role of the pastor. Uh, I, I looked over Pastor Norris's notes from the uh, session that was taught a few hours ago on church construction. If you did not sit into that session, I would suggest that you uh, download the uh, MP3 file and listen to the session because there was tremendous material shared on the role of the pastor. Uh, my role has not been the role of the pastor. My role has been uh, to try to help and support the pastor and try to be an extension of his ministry and try to make sure that his wishes are carried out and trying to make sure that his, uh, what he's looking for in the way of a project or a budget or uh, a facility is happening. So the pastor, uh, I think the pastor ought to be very involved. Uh, the pastor is the one who is ultimately bearing the burden of the project, the burden of the finances of the project, the burden of leading the church into the project. Uh, building programs are grueling on pastors and on churches sometimes. And so the pastor uh, has to be convinced in his heart, as Solomon was convinced, that this is a project that God is calling them to do and then will lead the people to help lead forward in the project. The second group uh, is the people, the people. And I'll just say a couple quick things about the people. One of the burdens that the pastor has is that uh, the people would be on board and would support it both with their prayers and with their heart and with their loyal support, but also uh, with their finances, frankly. And we believe that informed people are giving people. And uh, we have tried to over-inform our church. And we specifically focus on a number of groups, and you may jot this down. Uh, we'll get to some of these uh, in a few moments more specifically. But uh, Pastor uh, prays and seeks the Lord and talks with the pastoral staff about uh, what's on his heart and what the needs are in the ministry. Uh, when you have a Christian school, you would include the discussion with Christian school leaders and talking about what are the greatest needs that this ministry faces. Many of our churches with the cost of construction today can't uh, build everything we need right this minute. And so we have to prioritize and make some choices. And so at a pastoral level, that's discussed. And, of course, it's prayed over uh, between uh, the pastor and the Lord. And uh, he, he prays and fasts and seeks counsel from people outside of the ministry about what might be the right approach. And then uh, moving out from the pastoral staff, pastor will talk to the deacons and the entire staff and uh, get their prayers and encouragement and ask for their feedback before there's ever an announcement made, before there's ever a shovel in the ground, before there's ever a contract signed or a loan executed, uh, there's been discussion among pastoral staff and then among deacons and among the entire staff and, and uh, asking the deacons to pray and asking the deacons to give counsel and feedback and asking the deacons for ideas and so forth. And then 
uh, sharing it with the men of the church. And that's something that I've seen pastor do uniquely here over the years, and that, wa- that is through the men's prayer meetings and men's barbecues, talking to the men, taking a little more time than he would be able to on a Sunday morning, and just going through the projects and the reasons behind the projects and so forth, and then ultimately sharing uh, the vision with the church family, the people at large. Uh, letter C, the project overseer. And uh, for the last few projects and the next few projects here at LBC, that's, that's me, and I serve on the staff full-time. And I believe that the pastor ought to have someone who's uh, either at a full-time capacity or who is a godly, faithful member who's involved in the contracting of the building, who is uh, taking total ownership for the project, who's a saved, praying, spiritual, loyal person, a project overseer. Uh, no pastor should be expected to prepare three messages a week and uh, take total responsibility from a staff level for the construction of the building. Letter D, the building committee. Our building committee is comprised of five of our 30 deacons, and these are men who have either experience in construction or architecture fields or, in some cases, men who just have a mind for this type of work and have been uh, in churches much of their lives and are godly, stable, uh, praying men. We want them to understand what's taking place, whether it's with the budget of a building or the reasons behind a building or why we chose to build a certain building before another. We want them to understand that and be able to ask questions and have discussions in the church offices around a table with plans and meet with architects and so forth because then when a church member has a question or someone else has a question, the building committee or a team of godly men who are able to... uh, uh, confirm the fact that these things are prayed over and studied over and discussed and and uh, so forth. Uh, letter E, we have a financial administrator. Most churches uh, that uh, are ready for construction would have someone in charge of the books or the finances in the church. Our financial administrator is Ben Hobbs. You'd be welcome to uh, email him or call him if you had a question about the financial department here. He's teaching a few sessions this week. Uh, all of our email addresses are firstname.lastname at lancasterbaptist.org. So ben.hobbs at lancasterbaptist.org. Uh, financial administrator, and uh, he uh, does a great job at trying to help forecast the uh, expenses of a building and the uh, budgets of a building, and he will create models for Pastor Chapel so that Pastor Chapel can pray intelligently. Uh, He has just recently uh, created a model that extends, I think, 28 or so months and tries to predict... um, uh, what we could spend if we built everything that God's putting on pastors' heart to build. That's a little bit of an intimidating exercise. And uh, it, help, it helps pastors know, okay, well, here's, here's how we need to prioritize things and so forth. And that becomes a part of what pastor bounces off of Brother Gibbs or Brother Sisk or Brother Willette when he receives counsel and talks to the deacons about. And the financial administrator is, is key, of course. And then the financial administrator, of course, is involved during the project to... Uh, help uh, sign off uh, and, and write checks for draws to the contractor and so forth and uh, be aware of how the project is moving along from a budgetary perspective. As the project overseer, I might be the first one to hear about the cost of a change order or the expense of something, and then I make sure Brother Hobbs is in the loop on that. And then, and then there's always a couple of us asking questions, and sometimes I'll think of a question that he wouldn't think of, and sometimes, oftentimes he'll think of one that I wouldn't have thought of that sometimes uh, saves a great deal of resources. Letter F, the ministry leaders. These are the folks that are going to use the building. It'd be tragic to build a building with nurseries and you never consulted the folks who serve in the nurseries every service and asked them what might be needed. Uh, Pastor Tim Rabin is at the conference uh, this week and I was uh, able to see his building in Raleigh, North Carolina uh, 
about a year and a half, I guess, ago. And uh, they had just completed a nice new project, a new auditorium, and it had some nurseries in it. And he said that one of the things they did was they just solicited a lot of input from all of their ministry leaders and put out surveys and asked folks for input. And, and they told the church right up front, we can't get your feelings hurt because we can't, we can't implement everything, but we're looking for ideas. And uh, one of the ideas that the nursery workers had was dishwashers in the nursery to sterilize the toys, you know, and so they implemented that. And they gave a lot of other good feedback. But a lot of times, we're in the auditorium. And uh, we don't get to see really how the nursery is functioning, how the children's class is functioning, and how crowded are the children's classes, and and uh, what is the situation with respect to our Sunday school hour and so forth. So again, talk to the ministry leaders. When we began the plans for this building, we talked to uh, Dr. Rasmussen and Dr. Getch and other college faculty members about how this building would be used Monday through Friday and, and so forth. Ministry leaders. Letter G, the local officials. The Lord has given us... Uh, Good local officials to work with. Some of them are no doubt bureaucrats. Some of them uh, are friendly toward the ministry and love the Lord. Some of them don't know the Lord. Uh, we try to appeal for those who don't know the Lord to their reason. And uh, most folks want to be known as a reasonable person. And so we just ask for meetings at the city and we'll sit down with the folks on our city staff. Most of our construction involves approvals with the city. Some churches are building uh, and their approvals are with a county government. And uh, regardless, uh, you've got to get to know those folks. And don't forget the elected officials. One little piece of advice on this. Uh, you've, got your, you've got your city staff or your county staff. These are the bean counters and the engineers and the folks with the pocket protectors. And uh, they're telling you, you know, that you need, you, know, you need this many feet of asphalt or you need this many parking spots for this much square footage. Get to know your elected officials because in most cities... Uh, and in most counties, uh, the city staff understand that they work for the elected officials. And the elected officials know that they work for their constituency. And you are their constituency. And uh, frankly, they know if your church has a few hundred votes or not. And those few hundred votes are probably larger than the margin they won by when they got elected. And so it's, there's nothing wrong, I'm not talking about threats or something, but there's nothing wrong with making friends with your mayor, making friends with your city council. In the county of Los Angeles, we have county supervisors. I don't know how it works if you're in a county government, but we have county supervisors and one county supervisor of Los Angeles County, even though their headquarters are in Los Angeles. His area of responsibility is the Antelope Valley. We've called him on this most recent project. Uh, and get your local officials involved. So I would encourage you to work with and cooperate and get to know and love on the engineers and the staffers of the city but then also get to know and love on and keep an open relationship and open communication with your elected officials. And I'm not talking so much about being manipulative as I am understanding the process. Uh, we were preparing to widen 40th Street, and we were actually preparing an entire new campus plan that the city needed to sign off on. Our, our permit for using this campus had expired. That doesn't mean they were going to kick us off, but we needed to uh, give them an updated permit. And so we worked for a year with an architect on developing the entire 80 acres and what building was going to go where and when. And, and they, they require organizations to plan all that out. Some of you have gone through that exercise of a master plan and getting that approved with your city. We call it a conditional use permit here. And... Uh, there were some things that they, they were telling us we were going to need to do as we developed, and, and one of them was widening this street, and we immediately realized what that would cost and so forth. And, and uh, a big part of the expense was medians, these raised medians with uh, curbs and gutters and stamped concrete and so forth. But the older streets in town don't have medians. It was just something that the city 
um, planners decided that would look nice in our city and it would maybe you know, prevent some left turns and so forth. And so they, just, they started a few years ago requiring all the home builders and developers to put all these medians in the street. And so uh, we, uh, we said we're getting to the point where we're really having to sign off on signing up for all this work over the next 20 years as we move through this plan. And we said, Pastor, you better come down to City Hall with us because some of this is pretty expensive. And so we went down there, and we had been talking quite a bit about it for a few months. And we went down there and, and asked for a meeting with the mayor. And so Brother Hobbs and myself and Pastor Chapel walked into a meeting with the mayor. And, um, and he said, what do you want? We said, you mean it? It was funny because talking to him was so different than talking to the staff. Because talking to the staff in a number of meetings over the course of a 12-month period, you have to do this, you have to do that. And then we realized there is some subjectivity to this, and they make exceptions all the time for different things. And we said, we understand having the street widened where the cars need to get by, but those medians, those are, those are like a million bucks for just to build all those medians for a half a mile. And the mayor said, do you want to do painted medians? And we said, okay. And he said, <laughs> he, told, he told his assistant, go tell the director of planning that the church is not going to build medians, the church is going to do painted medians. And the director of planning walked downstairs, and, or the, the assistant walked downstairs, and, and, uh, and we looked at him like, you can just tell him to tell the director of planning that we don't have to build medians? He says, they work for us. And uh, they, they, you elected us, and they work for us. And uh, we said, right on. And um, we said, well, wait a second, there's other stuff we want to talk about then. <laughs> And uh, there was a point when uh, Pastor Chapel and Brother Hobbs, before I was involved in construction many years ago, approached the um, county uh, supervisor about extending the county sewer. We, we were all on septic here, and the sewer was a mile away, and we were building so many buildings, the neighbors started saying, wait a second, <laughs> you're putting way too much sewage in under our uh, land. And the city was saying, you, got, you guys have too many septic tanks. And, and so we said, well, okay, we need the sewer. And so they went to the county and said, they said, extending this a mile out here is only going to help developers and attract developers. Would you consider extending the sewer out a mile? And, and a, another a million-dollar project to extend the sewer a mile, and uh, the county paid for it as a part of attracting developers. As you can see, they didn't attract any yet. Uh, but they're, they, they're able to tell – this was in a little more of a pro-growth season. Uh, and uh, they were able to tell developers, yeah, this, if you want to build homes here – and, in fact, there are homes, maybe 100 of them or so, that have been built since then that were able to use that sewer that the county uh, paid for instead of the church paying for. Uh, about three weeks ago, we were trying to get plans moved, uh, Troy, to move that RPDA valve. Uh, Eight-inch fire water that runs, you know, under every street, and it comes onto the campus, and it, all it does is uh, provide water to the fire sprinklers in all the buildings. And uh, it has a, a backflow preventer valve. The valve, the valve, which is, you know, about this big, uh, is twenty-five thousand dollars. And the since that valve was installed ten years ago, we needed to move it for the driveway. And since since that valve was involved ten years ago, they changed the, the valve they like the best. And so our engineer drew the plans to move this valve, and the county said, you, you, you can't move that valve because that's not the valve we prefer anymore. And, uh, and so we called the county supervisor and said, look, all we want to do is move it. They, they're okay with it if we keep it there. We have to move it, so can we just move the same one? We're not talking about adding a valve. If we add a valve, we'll do the valve they want. And we, we checked with the engineers on all this before we made sure it was a legitimate argument. And so two emails later, um, the folks at the planning uh, approval planning at the county uh, water district uh, saw it our way. And uh, we're thankful. And sometimes that ruffles a little feathers, but um, they're over it already. And it was, you know, a few weeks ago, and, and, and it saved us $25,000. Most of us would think um, 
boy, if somebody walked into our church office and gave me a check for $25,000 for the building program, that would be absolutely miraculous. Well, I think things like that are miraculous. And uh, so, anyway, we, we pray about those things, and thank the Lord we try to work with officials. Letter H, the architect. I think the architect uh, is among the probably the three most important folks, uh, the, those three being the pastor, the contractor, and the architect. Um, our architect's uh, name is on the, uh, on the plans on the back tables, and if you have questions, feel free to call him. Uh, some of you have used him as well, who are here in Southern California. But uh, we were introduced to him by another ministry uh, 70 miles from here, and uh, we have really enjoyed working with him. Uh, Brother Norris talked quite a bit about architects. Some of them are arrogant. Some of them have no idea what churches are supposed to operate like. Uh, they wouldn't know that a baptistry, you have to actually go all the way under. You know, they don't know, they don't understand you need changing rooms and things of this nature. So I would encourage you to try to find an architect that is either a godly Christian or who is a, an architect who has served churches. And I would encourage you, before, before you sign up with an architect, if it's a new project and you don't have a preferred architect, I would encourage you to uh, interview more than one. And, uh, and remember, they, they need your business. So they're willing to come to your church and give you a sales pitch and let you visit their offices. Interview more than one. Uh, talk to them about um, cost for projects. A lot of times they can ballpark whether their cost is about 5% of what it might take to build or 4% of what it take, might take to build. So if you want to build a, a $2 million building, you know, uh, 5% of that is, I guess, uh, what, $100,000? And so they... Uh, you know, they might tell you where they fall in that range and so forth. You can tell them sometimes about and, and ask them for a proposal. Uh, they shouldn't need any money up front before you've told them what you want to build before they provide you a proposal. Uh, interview more than one, I would say. And number two, please talk to folks they've, they've worked with before and specifically churches they've worked with before if you can because some of them are, are um, you know, frankly difficult to work with and don't have good people skills. Uh, we've, we've got a real good one on these last few projects, and we're thankful for them. Uh, letter I, uh, engineers. And the architect that serves us hires the mechanical engineer, structural engineer, the electrical engineer that do the plans for us to submit. However, for us, and I don't know if it's going to be like this for you, but for us, the one who does the utilities and the civil work, the, the uh, building pad, the underground, the um, utilities underground, the parking, the draining, the one who does the civil construction, the civil engineer, we work with them directly. And uh, one of the reasons is that our architect is from out of town, but our civil contract, our civil engineers are in town. They're a very well-respected local firm, and they oftentimes go to bat with us, for us, with the city. And they'll talk to the city about, let the church do it this way, and that'll work. And they, they know when there's more than one way to skin the cat. And sometimes the, the city will just push back and say, this won't work, you need to do this. And then, then the engineering firm knows, though, that, well, if they do this, maybe they don't have to do that. For example, we're able to drain the parking lots into kind of landscaped areas as opposed to having to put sophisticated storm drains in place. But if, you know, if somebody didn't know and they didn't have that engineer who knew you could do that, they might just, you know, have to uh, sign up for something more expensive because the city told them to. So we use uh, the civil engineer uh, locally, and uh, we've, um, we've asked our architect to, uh, uh, to introduce us to the other engineers uh, who are doing the other disciplines on the project, and uh, we enjoy uh, working with them, and, and we're, we're good with them switching up. We have a contractor that we've used a few times that we like to use. I'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, he recommended an, a different structural engineer to our architect for 
the next project, and that really helped us, saved us some money in the plans, and it's going to be, it's, he, he's going to work better, the contractor, if he ends up building the building with this structural engineer than he would have with the one our architect was used to. So you can make some choices on that. Uh, letter J, the general contractor. Just to go back to the engineers, just to recap, I'm talking kind of fast. Uh, your architect typically will hire the engineers, and you typically have four or more. Mechanical, and they will do uh, heating and air and plumbing. And then you have uh, uh, the electrical engineer, and then you'll have the uh, civil engineer I mentioned, and then you'll have the um, structural engineer. And so they all work together. Uh, but uh, you, uh, you can be involved in, and will be involved in the process. We've had electrical engineers come out and talk to us about what type of fixtures we'd like and, and uh, things of that nature. The general contractor is, uh, I think, again, one of the top three most important people in the project. And again, I would encourage you to do the same thing. I would urge you to do the same thing. Interview more than one and uh, check their references. Talk to the folks that they've worked with. Take, let them take you to buildings they've built and walk you through them. Uh, and uh, not everyone who can build a house or a strip mall can build a church. And uh, there's, there's a high level of finish and uh, form in a church building. And uh, so select your general contractor carefully. There's nothing wrong with um, calling uh, other organizations or even religious organizations or churches that maybe wouldn't, attend a conference that you host or attend this conference, but they, they sure have a nice-looking church. Wouldn't be long, long with asking them, who, what general contractor did you use? And uh, we're looking for one and so forth. Uh, the subcontractors, we, uh, we ask the general contractor to hire almost all of the subcontractors, you know, the drywallers and the framers and the, uh, the folks who erect the steel and all of the different various sub-trades, but uh, we ask them to get subs that are competitive and that are cooperative. And uh, we do uh, ask our general contractor to shop out the subcontracting so that he's getting more than one bid from subcontractors. He's not just going to have the preferred drywaller that can charge him whatever he wants because he's his friend, and then he's going to pass it along to us, and we paid more for the drywaller than we should have. Uh, and we'll talk in a minute about competitive bids, and that's one of the things that's going to motivate that general contractor not to just bring all his friends in to pass their you know, inflated bills along to the church, um, because he needs to be competitive because he's competing against other generals, hopefully. And uh, we ask him to compete subs among one another. And then finally, other consultants. Other consultants. Churches need folks to help them with decor, with uh, sound is a big one, um, visual aids, um, audio-visual, things like this projection and things of that nature. Uh, other consultants that will help them. You're going to need to hire folks to help you with furnishings. The folks who sell us all these chairs and tables, they are willing and able to, on behalf of the church, study the plans and give them the architectural plans and let them tell you how, how they suggest setting up the furniture. And, and, and we don't do it like we normally do it for this conference. For this conference, we just try to cram as many chairs as we can into a lot of the rooms that we know are some of the more popular sessions. But when, when you, if you come through during the school year, you'll see these rooms set up a little differently than they are this week. And the traffic flows move a little better because the occupancy is not, not quite so overwhelming. So those are the roles. Now, uh, next, let's look a little deeper and talk about the resources. The resources. I heard of a pastor who was looking to uh, m meet the resource needs of the ministry and uh, was talking to donors. And uh, Brother, uh, 
Randy Tool. He didn't talk. The brother Norris didn't mention this, did he? About this pastor who was asking uh, a, don- a potential donor for a gift, and he shared the vision with him and shared his bread with him and said, "Would you give?" And the donor said, uh, "He said you probably don't know that my mother is bedridden and requires constant medical care, and it's uh, a tremendous, tremendous expense." for her medical, round-the-clock care. He said, oh, I had no idea your mother needed that. He said, I didn't think you did. He said, you probably don't know that my brother is a missionary in Africa and has several orphanages, and he always is needing clothing and food and books. And He said, I didn't know your brother was a missionary in Africa. He said, yeah. He said, you probably also didn't know that my daughter uh, is, uh, is married, and they have a ministry to... Uh, homeless people, and they oftentimes need uh, tremendous amounts of money for their ministry to homeless people. He said, oh, I had, I had no idea. He said, and if I'm not willing to give to any one of the three of them, why would I be interested in giving to this project? <laughs> and uh, so sometimes uh, our best efforts are uh, returned with, with a lack of resources. And uh, let's talk about how we resource these buildings. Sometimes people see buildings like, like we're privileged to use here, and they say, oh, there must be some you know, benefactor or something, there, there, really, there really wasn't um, and isn't. Uh, Mr. Revels gave um, an offering that was significant, but uh, it could in, in no way have built even any one portion of this building. It, it required tremendous, tremendous sacrifice on behalf of our church and as, as every other building did for 100% of the project. Uh, but let's talk about the resources. First of all, uh, our first resource is, is the generosity of God's people. We've cultivated here, and pastor really, I should say, has cultivated here a generous people. And uh, he, I think if you'll nurture people like he nurtures people and inform people like he informs people and serve people like he serves people and preach like he preaches um, with respect to the preparation and, and the energy that's put into it, um, I think you can develop a generous people anywhere. And we do not have, um, we are not a, a super white-collar area uh, we we don't have, I don't think we have any millionaires in our church or anything like that. Um, it's just a lot of people, mailmen and Air Force enlisted people and carpenters and nurses and people like that just doing their best and school teachers. You know, that's our church is, is very much uh, what I would call a, a middle income type of a church. And uh, and we have folks with you know great needs, too. And we have folks that are more blessed, too. But um, it's just a lot of people getting generous. Pastor preaches uh, every February on the topic of generosity and biblical stewardship, and, and he just believes it's part of the whole counsel of God. And uh, then we, we typically every year in March have a big, what you would describe as a fundraising event. And uh, we don't bring in outside firms for that. Uh, some churches do, and, and, and they may need to. Uh, Pastor hasn't felt a piece about that, and, and we, we oversee that as a staff. And uh, we have a very, very generous people. And so I think our, our leaders in the church need to remember how important it is that the, that the church family is thriving, that they're spiritually healthy. And people need to be spiritually healthy for lots of reasons. But one of the real practical reasons as it relates to this session is that people who are spiritually healthy are, are generous people. And they will help roll up their sleeves and, and uh, build. If, they're, if the vision is shared with them, if they're well-informed, if they're, um, if they're being served and their family is being served in ministry, oftentimes they can buy into what uh, the pastor is sharing with them. Like our church bought into it Sunday night. Pastor shared uh, the next three or four projects with our church on Sunday night, and, and they're all within the next 12 months. That uh, expansion of that building was the, uh, the most significant one financially, but uh, we're going to do some big things this year as a part of our 25th year of ministry in our church. Our church, once again, uh, every indication was they're, they're going to respond to that. Letter B, 
Consider the importance of managing resources diligently. Brother Hobbs and I, and I've, I really learned this from him a few years ago, working with him on these projects, we never just accept something at face value. Oh, that costs $72,000. Okay. Uh, we try to really study that and ask why and, and uh, what are other alternatives and so forth. And uh, manage the resources diligently. We, you know we... we um, we worked real hard to make this building right. This was the building on the campus probably with the highest level of finishes, you know, um, real nice finishes in the bathrooms and in the hallways and, you know, everything else, you know, light fixtures and, and you know, it's got projectors in every room and all that, the science lab, the music labs, the uh, home ec lab. But we tried to make sure with every ingredient in the building we were being good stewards as if we were, uh, you know, shopping for our own family and managing the, the limited income that we have. And I think that's important. I think that's a stewardship issue. Uh, don't just trust the contractors or the architect or some other project manager to have the best interest of the ministry in mind when it comes to the finances. Letter C. Consider the expense of project planning. Brother Norris mentioned that we should not skimp on planning and preparing and studying and designing the building go ahead and spend some money to travel and see what others have done and to hire the right architects and consultants. And, and sometimes you say, man, well, so-and-so can give us a great deal on this building. It's you know, all they've ever you know, built or designed are warehouses, but we can, you know, we can use them and save a lot of money as, as opposed to going and hiring some you know, nice architect. To, you, well, um, a lot of times you can get ministry done to the degree of kind of what, what, what kind of things you're providing. And every, every area is different, but Martin's here from the Philippines and, and – um, and uh, the tools here from Baltimore, and there, there are a, there's a vast um, spectrum. But for your area, uh, you know uh, what you want to be able to invite folks to. And probably it's not a warehouse in a lot of cases, you know. And we want to work hard to, to design it correctly. And, and a lot of times, I, I, I think our church family and our visitors sometimes draw some conclusions about how seriously we take what's going on here on Sunday by what, uh, what is presented to them from the flowers that are planted in the driveway to the, to the finishes that are used in the bathroom. So the design, uh, there's some expense there. Letter D, uh, consider the opportunity for cost savings in a project. Uh, there are all kinds of opportunities for cost savings. Oftentimes, you can take an architect's preliminary plans and give them to a contractor that you have a good relationship with and say, Mr. Contractor, Show us how we can tell our architect how to save some money. And he'll go, oh, well, I can tell you right now, the way you design that, it's going to be expensive for you to build or for me to build for you. And we've saved a lot of money in what I would call a value engineering process with contractors. And, and what you can do is you can tell the architect, I'd like to enter into a contract with you with several stages. And let's, let's just do the schematic drawings first and some elevations first. Show us what the outside is going to look like. Show us what the floor plan is going to look like. Let's take that to the uh, to a contractor or two and talk to them about it. Let's take it to the building committee and then move into the next phase. That way you'd have, you haven't designed something that is inefficient to build uh, and is, uh, is, uh, you know, has weighty expenses that are unnecessary. A lot of cost savings. I would encourage you to, uh, to get some contractors involved early on in the design process. Letter E, consider alternative methods of construction. Alternative methods. The gym whose plans are on the uh, table in the back, we talked to a contractor and to an architect about the fact that we could build this building three different ways. We could build it uh, with cement block. 
We can build it with pre-engineered steel, or we can build it with tilt-up concrete. And we asked the contractor to do three budgets uh, for those three uh, alternative styles of construction. And we were really delighted when he came back to say that tilt-up concrete was um, as inexpensive as the other two. Now you say, well, I, I know you can build a metal building for less, because we defined what we wanted it to look like. He said he did every budget line item, and we could see that if we built a metal building, sure, it sounds real cheap to get into it, but by the time you add all the gingerbread onto it to make it not look like a warehouse, um, you're going to basically consume every dollar you save from not doing a concrete tilt-up or a block building. So there's, um, we, we did that, and, and so we've decided now that's going to be a concrete tilt-up building, which will be our first one to build like that. Uh, and uh, we're excited about that. But think of alternative methods. I will say that, especially in the east, I have seen some churches that were pre-engineered steel buildings that were absolutely beautiful. And three sides kind of look like a warehouse, but they're a beautiful church uh, from the road, and I think that's sufficient. And uh, it's a great, great way to, to save some uh, save some months funds. So think about alternative methods. Uh, and then uh, letter F, consider the management of contracts, draws, change orders, lien releases, and invoices. This is not something that you have to understand in, in minute detail like a, a person on the staff of Christian Law Association would understand, but it's something that you should study before you sign, you should seek to understand, especially with the contracts, and that you are welcome to uh, bounce off of CLA. We've done that with every project, taken the contract from the contractor, shared it with the Christian Law Association, faxed it to them, now we email it to them, and uh, say, what do you think of this? And, and that's what they're there for. They try to help with that. And uh, sometimes people get scammed and burned by contractors or by architects, and that's a, that's a good little thought on uh, trying to make sure it's, it's fair. And also share it with your deacons and, and uh, other, other folks, building committee. Finally, let's talk about the route of the project, and we'll just kind of talk sequentially. I think we'll take maybe five, six minutes here and wrap up with this last point. First of all, the process of planning and design, and we've already talked about the fact that we don't want to skimp on the planning that goes into it and involving the ministry leaders and, and so forth. You've got to really work hard at picturing what it's going to be like to use this building. And ask yourself, okay, if that's where the door to the classroom is, where is the lectern going to be? And where is the whiteboard going to be? And are people going to be distracted when latecomers come in? You know, things of this nature. And, uh, and how much room does a young family need to drop off a child in the nursery? And, and uh, you know, all these kinds of things. You've got to really, because a lot of times you see it on black and white and paper and you go, well, that's cool. Let's build it. But you've got to really get in there and study it and get some people to look at it with you and ask yourselves, uh, how, how does this work? I've, I, uh, I designed the plans for the house that my wife and I lived in, live in, and we were only able to do that because my father-in-law is a general contractor. Uh, but uh, I, I, I drew them up and thought I was doing good and bounced them off some people and then ha- hired an architect to draw it, uh, a local kind of a small office architect to draw it. And then, then my father-in-law and I built it five years ago. And, and I, I, every time I sit in my living room, I go, man, this didn't look this small on paper. And every time I walk into the bedroom, I go, this looked so much smaller on paper. So the bedroom, lo- so we hang out in the bedroom more now. Uh, and I, I, I tell Nicole, maybe we should do it again with what we learned. And she says, no, no, no. And uh, so uh, you got to really picture in your mind, how is this nursery drop-up counter going to work? And how is this Sunday school classroom going to work? And how, is, is, how many choir members can we fit in that size loft? And is that enough for the next few years of growth in our choir? And do we want to start an orchestra? And where's the sound booth? And where are the ushers going to stand? And where are we going to greet visitors and so forth? You've got to really work on that. Letter B, the process of value engineering. We talked about that. I'm getting a little redundant now. The process of value engineering. 
That's before you start construction, before you even start getting bids. You want a value engineer. Letter C, the process of bidding and contracting. There are different ways to structure contracts, and it kind of depends on who the Lord has brought into your life and ministry. If you have in your church uh, a godly contractor who's built large buildings, you're blessed. And we actually want to talk to him about a transfer of membership. Um, No, uh, but if you have a contractor like that, uh, you're blessed, and, and that's a great opportunity. On the other hand, most of us don't have that. And even if you do have that, there's some cautions I'll give you. But if you don't have that and you're shopping for a contractor, I told you, interview more than one, look at their work, make sure it's someone who's done either churches or schools or athletic buildings or something that's similar to a, to a church. They can't just have built where, you know, designed something that's, you know, industrial or something. But get a good architect and uh, get a good contractor. And then we, this is really important to us that we get competitive bids. And so we ask, we ask the architect, once he's done with all of his plans, to get one round of comments back from the city, because a lot of times the city will tell you, you can't do this, you have to do that, and that way your plans are a little more close to being ready to be built from. And so once the architect has gotten one round of comments back from the city, which here takes about a month, and has incorporated those into the plans, we give those plans to three different contractors. And we give them um, instructions that we've typed out, and I can, if you email me, I'll email you back the instructions we give to the contractors. Uh, we give them instructions on how to bid the project and some clarifications, and we ask them to give us a bid so that we can compare it to other bids, and we try to make sure we're going to get them in apples-to-apples format. And then we will give them three or four weeks to get the bids in. They turn the bids in. We sit down. We look at the bids. Then we start. We spend a week asking them questions about why were you high in this area, and are you sure you can do this for this price because the other contractors were way above. Did you miss something? And Because uh, you, know, you don't want to um, you know, enter a contract with him and then him say, oh, oops. Uh, there's a third floor, uh, you know, so uh, value engineering, uh, bidding and contracting. Uh, we typically look for lump sum contracts with our contractors, lump sum contracts, basically where they say we can build the building for this price. And that has in it all the subs costs, all the management costs, all the profit, all the overhead. We ask them to separate out on separate line items their profit and overhead uh, so that we can know what they're expecting to make on this project, the cost of um, managing the project as well, and, uh, and we ask for a lump sum fee. I have had godly, uh, experienced construction leaders in churches say, and I agree with them, that if you get a contractor that you're really, really super comfortable with and you know that God is leading you to use this contractor, you might consider something called a negotiated fee contract where you uh, don't put the whole project out to bid to three different contractors. A contractor might spend $10,000 to try to get a bid together for a multimillion-dollar project by the time he's done all the plans and all the rest and, and, and paid his staff. So you might not put it out to three different contractors if you know you're going to use one. You might just get with that one and say, um, let's get competitive bids from every sub, and we'll work with you on the selection of every sub, and let's negotiate what your fee is going to be for profit overhead management and make sure that that fee is within an acceptable range of what other contractors are charging for similar projects. And that's something that without a lot of work, you could call other equivalent firms and say, uh, what would you factor in? We're considering building a project. We have a contract we're interested in using, but we're open to other contractors. If we were to ask you to bid on a project, what kind of fee would you be looking at for overhead, profit, and management? See what they say. And uh, you have to be real specific so you know that you're comparing that fee apples to apples as well. Then uh, letter D, the process of approval and permitting. Again, a lot of times you're dealing with county and city bureaucrats who have 
overwhelmed inboxes and disorganized desks, okay? And sometimes they respond with permits and approvals to the, to the squeakiest wheel. And so we don't just depend on the contractor to, or, the, or the city staff. We, we, we call them and nag them and tell them, you know, what do we need to do here, and, and we try to get that all done. Letter E, the process of construction and progress oversight. This, of course, is the most important. And this is during the construction process. This is the, really the grueling part. Uh, you're going to have some things you have to do, some things that the contractor asked for and so forth. Uh, you're going to have to check on the progress of what you've asked other people to accomplish. I would encourage you, if you want to write down this, I would encourage you to have a weekly meeting with whoever's responsible for the project at the church staff level and the general contractor and any combination of the following, a project manager that works for the contractor, a financial administrator who works for the church. For the Revels building, which was the last large building we built, Brother Hobbs and I and the general contractor and his project manager, so the church had two representatives and the contractor two representatives, sat at a table for two or three hours every Tuesday and went over what happened that week. Uh, construction and progress oversight is letter E. Letter F. Uh, or let's look, let's look at three and four. Evaluating the work of others, walking the job. You've got to walk the job and ask questions, and why is that there and why is it there. These people that build, that build these buildings, they're way more talented than I am, but when I walked through this building, I said, I said to them, I remember on the plans there was going to be this here, and they, and, and they said, oh, yeah, you know, and uh, a, sub, a sub had made a mistake and so forth. Lots of things on this project and lots of things on all projects like that. You've got to walk. You've got to understand it. As the plans move from two-dimensional <laughs> plans to a three-dimensional structure, make sure it's, it's coming together like you thought it was going to. And don't be afraid to say, man, this is smaller or bigger than I thought, or this is not going to work out as well. And then you're going to have a change order, and uh, that's okay. You'll have some. Uh, you've got to plan on 5 to 10% uh, of the project uh, additionally in change orders. And then number four, meeting with those necessary to lead the project to completion. Letter F, the process of furnishing and outfitting a building. First thing I'll say about that is don't forget to budget for it. The, just, just filling this building with you know, seven or 800 chairs uh, and tables and equipment and, and projectors and so forth, that was a big deal. And you've got to do some budget work on that so that you can lead the church, lead the church through that. And, and again, same thing. Uh, interview different firms, get prices from different firms, uh, compare chairs with chairs, pews with pews, and uh, and uh, you know materials with materials, equipment with equipment, and, and with other with other potential vendors, and then uh, make your decision from there. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on principles for church construction with Brother Tim Christensen. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.